Please be seated. As we continue in our study of the Psalms this summer, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 116. While you're turning there, just uh, just uh, something uh, point of info, something for information, particularly for those who have been part of this church for a, a long time. I received a, a text yesterday morning from an old friend of mine, Rusty, Rusty Whitener, and uh, telling me that uh, he would like for me to pass on to you that his father, Dave Whitener, passed away on Friday. And Rusty was celebrating the fact that he had a godly father and celebrating his life and, and invite you to also join him. And Kathy will send out a grace note with information of how you can contact the family for those of you who would like to. But uh, uh, we want to be praying for them. And as we're coming to Psalm 116, while it's not the focus of our message this morning, we are reminded of what God has retold us through the psalmist, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so please be in, in prayer for the, for the Whitener family. I started this morning from one, Psalm 116. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we hear his word. Our Father, we, we come as a people who are in need. We are in constant need of being renewed. Therefore, we eat that our bodies might receive strength. But you've told us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Father, just as we are in need of physical, uh, of physical renewal, we are also in need of continual physical strength and building up that comes from feeding upon your word. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, your Word would truly nourish our souls this morning, strengthening our faith, turning our, our minds uh, toward you, and, and helping us to be reminded of your great promises and the reasons that we have to celebrate and to rejoice. Father, feed us this morning by your Word is our prayer, and we offer the prayer with great confidence, for it is you who prompted us, and it is you who has promised us that your Word always serves its purpose. Build us up and build us together that we may honor and glorify you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosened my bonds. I will offer to You a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, 
in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The Word of God. I'm sure at some time or another you've seen those newspaper or magazine contests that pick a topic, start a sentence, and then ask you to fill in the, fill in the blank. Like, I love peanut butter because, or I'm proud to be an American because, and then ask you to just finish the sentence, and then there's an essay contest, 25 words or less, and then they judge it and publish the one who happens to be the winner. Psalm 116 is something kind of like that. The psalmist begins by saying, I love the Lord because, and then he goes on to declare a number of reasons as to why he loves the Lord. I find Psalm 116 to be immensely uh, both practical and helpful because I suspect that there are a number of people who, when they come to worship or when they talk about God, uh, declare that they love God but really give very little thought beyond the words that may be projected on a screen or on a page or words that they've been taught or, or the quoting of Scripture. Not to say that what they're saying is, is wrong or invalid or even necessarily insincere. It's just not particularly deep. And so they use the words, but there's very little behind the words because they haven't given much thought to it. Someone may ask, is, is that wrong? And I, I would say, not necessarily, is that a wrong thing? I think to a time when my children were very young, and I was, uh, it always touched my heart when they would say, Daddy, I, I love you. And it came from sincerity, but it's not like they sat at the time when they were two and three years old and pondering all of my virtues and thinking, you know, I haven't said, Daddy, I love you enough, and so they come to me and make the effort to do that. But there's something that is special, even in, in very simple and, uh, and childlike expression. And yet as they've aged, while it still touches my heart when I hear them say those words, there would be something very wrong if they had never moved beyond the stage of being two or three where they express the words, they mean the words, they know that they mean the words, but they have no idea about either my character strengths or loving me despite my character weaknesses. And so it's even more impressive since they are very well aware of my character weaknesses when they are able to see certain aspects of my life that remind them that they love me and choose to speak and tell me that they have loved me. They're recognizing something in me that they have chosen to, to lift up. And so I don't think it's necessarily wrong when God's people simply express words that are sincere words but perhaps not necessarily thoughtful. But we need to realize it's important that when we worship God and when we relate to God, it's important that we do so both emotionally and intellectually, or, or at least thoughtfully. And, and when I say being thoughtful or intellectual, I'm not suggesting that we learn the different attributes of God and just ramble off theologically a, a list of things that we know to be true of God, but that we have considered those things that are true of God and that we are able to be very specific to the Lord about what we love about the Lord and, and we're thoughtful and realize how those things have benefited us and how we relate to him on the basis of that. We ought to be able to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I love you because. Now, I imagine if we were to pass around the mic this morning and ask each of you or whoever was willing to share and to finish that statement, that we would receive almost as many different answers as there are people who are here, at least those who have given thought about it. Because there are so many different reasons that we are able to say we love the Lord. The question is not whether there are a number of reasons, but what is particularly important to you today?
What is it that you would say if we gave you that opportunity to say, I love you, Lord, because? And I understand that there may be some who are here this morning who know that they love the Lord and have very little idea of what it is they might say. Perhaps it's not because you have never matured, but it's just words are not your strength. You've not given a lot of thought to it before. Whether you are one of those kinds of people, one of those people who love the Lord and have difficulty expressing the reasons why, or whether you are one who is very free, the psalmist here gives us three particular ideas this morning as to why he says he loves the Lord. This list is, is in no way exhaustive, but it, it's reflective of what he was thinking on, on a particular day and the way he was relating to the Lord, a particular season in his life as he's thinking about who God is, what God has done, and what God has done for him. And as he's thinking about that, as he's speaking to God, he's able to say, Lord, I love you because. And he begins very simply by saying this, I love the Lord because he hears my prayers. Now, actually, what he says in verses 1 and 2 is I love the Lord because he, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he's inclined his ear toward me. So I shorten that up and saying he's heard my prayers. The voice of one who is crying out to God and, and recognizes that. Apparently the psalmist had gone through a period in, in, that was a, a rough time. We don't know exactly what had gone on in his life, but evidently he felt like he was going to die or at least he, he felt like death. Or he might have just been in a, a state uh, of depression where as he thought about death that was ultimately going to come to all of us, he's thinking, eh, that may not be such a bad thing after all just he's dead inside or whether he was facing death he just was in a point of of desperation and he cries out to the lord and he says the lord heard him the lord heard his cry and the lord brought him through whatever it is that he whatever it was he was facing and so in response to that what he's saying is i love the lord because he listens to me i was in trouble Death was coming. and He's turned his ear toward me. Now, as we see in verse 2, he's resolved to make prayer, speaking to God, a regular part of his life. Because in verse 2, he says, Because he inclined his ear toward me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. He's making prayer, communication with God, a regular part of his life because he is so certain that God hears his voice. And that is an amazing thing that we are told in all the scriptures. It's an amazing promise of God is that he hears the prayers of his people. It's not just the psalmist, but John tells us in 1 John 5, according to this is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, I'm not going to delve into the will of God and, 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 and that uh, but, uh, to this morning. But just hear the promise that John is making, we see echoing throughout all of the Scriptures, is that when God's people cry out to God, God hears. He hears their cries. He hears their prayers. He hears the conversing. God hears us when we speak to Him. And I am so thankful that the Lord listens to me. And sometimes I'm amazed. Because people don't always listen to what I have to say. I talk and I talk and I talk, as you might have noticed this. Um, and I know some of you sometimes need to get a, a nap. 
and I'm glad to provide that for you from time to time. It's well-deserved rest, I'm sure. I can't always get you to listen to me. I can't always get my kids to listen to me. I can't always get anybody to listen to me. But regardless of that, there is one who I know who always listens to me. And that is an amazingly comforting and encouraging thing. There's one who always turns his ear toward me and hears everything that I have to say, whether it's praise or griping or concern or crying out. And not only me, but the promises to all of God's people as they cry out to God. There is one who always turns his ear, one who always hears. The picture here that we have of God who turns his ear and hears our cries is one of a mother with an infant child. It doesn't matter where the mother is in the house or how far the distance is. It doesn't even matter whether the intercom is working. The mother is tuned into the cries of that infant and as actually so in tune can distinguish the types of cries, knowing whether it's a cry of panic, a cry that the diaper needs to be changed, a cry of loneliness, or just a cry trying to express itself. The mother is in tune, and our God is equally more so in tune to us. His ear is, is inclined toward us, and he hears our cries. He hears our prayers. Blows my mind when I think about the fact that the God, the creator of the universe, listens to us whenever it is that we speak and cry out to him. The psalmist also says, I love the Lord because he protects or he preserves the simple. Verses 5 and 6, the psalmist says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. It's an amazing thing that the psalmist is declaring there. The Lord protects and preserves the simple. And the reason I love that is because I know I can qualify for that. See, he's not saying he loves and he protects and he preserves those who have pondered theological things or great philosophical ideas. It says that he preserves and he protects those who are simple childlike, those who don't understand, those who are willing to acknowledge they don't understand. They see the world around us and they're confused, perhaps trying to make sense of it, perhaps giving up trying to make sense of it, but have come to an end of themselves and crying out to the Lord or relating to the Lord and just saying, I, I don't understand and I don't know what's next. I am in need. I am in help. And realizing just like a child is dependent upon a parent or someone who is older, stronger to protect so the Lord protects and preserves those who come, not impressively, but as a child before him, and saying, Lord, I don't understand, I don't know what's next, but I know that I am in need of help. The good news of this particular psalm is the psalm recognizes those who are simple, would be simple-hearted, those who are not trying to be complex, not trying to impress God, but just come before him as a child. The psalmist realizes that's his condition, that's his state regardless of how impressive he might have been. No matter what he has achieved, he realizes that there, he comes to an end in himself, that he, while he may master everything else, he cannot master this world, cannot master this universe, and is still helpless as a child. And he realizes in that state, our God expresses his love by protecting and preserving. The psalmist then also goes on and he says very simply this, I love the Lord and I've shortened it, I love the Lord simply because of who he is. Now, I take that because in verse 5 we see that the psalmist does talk about some specific attributes of God. 
in verse 5, as he's, he's writing, he says, Gracious is the Lord, and righteous is our God, uh, uh, righteous and merciful. And so he's talking about some very significant theological attributes of God, talking about his, his mercy and what is, what his righteousness. What, what, is God, what does God do in response to what God believes about himself is the way I would define his righteousness. And, and he's talking about um, his, his grace and what God has done for us when we didn't deserve it. Tremendous concepts that we can dig in and dig down deep and never exhaust the depth of the riches of knowledge that there is to explore just those aspects of God himself. And so the, the, the psalmist is talking about truths about God. And then as he, he moves on in verse 7, he essentially just says, I love the Lord just because of who he is and what he does. Because in verse 7, he says, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. In other words, he's putting those theological concepts about who God is together and realizing how that has benefited him, how God is related to him. The God who is gracious and righteous and merciful has given to him what he did not deserve, protected him when he did not deserve it, did not warrant it, and has bestowed him with peace prosperity of, of, of at least uh, in, in this case in a, in a number of, uh, of tangible ways so the psalmist essentially is saying I, I love the Lord because of who he is see when he's talking to verse 7 about the Lord dealing bountifully with him he was remembering that there were times when the tears it's in his own words there were times when the tears were rolling down his cheeks uh, in verse 8 he was thinking about that you've delivered my soul from death my eyes were tears my feet from stumbling and he's thinking about that time when he just thought that he was just done in had no hope saw no future and yet now that he's past that he realizes that the Lord in his grace has delivered him I've had a number of days like that in my life days with long walks where there are just tears followed up by days where the tears can't flow, though I wish they could because their tears have, have all gone. Wondering if I was going to make it. I've had dark, sleepless nights crying out to the Lord in desperation. And those nights and those days are very real in my memory. It doesn't take a lot to be able to bring them back. But the Lord heard my cry. The Lord dealt graciously with me. Imagine... Most of you have probably, probably all of you have had days like that and nights like that yourselves. And the Lord has dealt graciously with you. He's dealt bountifully with you as well. And I know that for a fact. Some of it's because some of you have shared your stories with me. And even if you haven't shared those stories with me, I know for a fact that the Lord has dealt with you graciously and bountifully. How do I know? Because you're here. You know, you thought you were done in. There was no future. There was no hope. But here you are. The promise to those of you who are in the midst of days like that right now is our God who is gracious and righteous and merciful. He knows, he loves you, he expresses life, and he deals bountifully with his people, preparing you for what he has in store for you, to give him glory for your best. The psalmist is recounting these things, and he says here, I thought I was going to die, and I cried out to you, and now I walk in the land of the living. Lord, I love you, for you are good. 
So the psalmist speaks here as he's wrestling through this passage. He's, he's giving thought to who is God. And he says, I love the Lord because. And he gives us this list of things. And then as he ponders and he continues on with the psalm, he doesn't just leave it at that. It's not just a song, I love you, Lord, and, and leave it there. There's nothing wrong with that. But he feels compelled to do something about it, to act in response to God's grace, to relate to God. And so in verse 12, he moves on to a whole new category of things. He, he's asking himself the question, how can I... How can I repay the Lord? In verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? See, the psalmist is giving us an indication that our lives are not just uh, receiving bins, but we are living in dynamic relationship with the Lord. The Lord has given to him graciously, and as he lives his life, he wants to pay the Lord back. Now, as he's saying that, the psalmist has no foolish idea that he can give to the Lord something that the Lord is in need of. It's not like he's Christmas shopping, birthday shopping, and saying, you know, they've been really, he's been really nice to me. What, what, what does the Lord need? But he's one who, in living relationship with God, realizes the way that God has blessed him and has promised to continue to bless him, realizes this is not, he's not exhausted the blessings of the Lord, but in that living relationship, he wants to do something to demonstrate that he loves the Lord. Writing the song is one way. But he is committing himself to others as well. And so he moves on and he gives us a handful of ideas as to what we may do when we recognize that God has blessed us. Ways that we can tangibly express our love for the Lord because the Lord's love has been shown to us. And the first one he reveals to us or he speaks to us, he says, I will lift up a cup of salvation. Verse 13, I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now, a cup of salvation, according to most commentators, is said to have been a symbolic expression. It's a cup, literal cup, that was lifted up during solemn occasions and particularly like the, the Passover. And it signifies Israel's deliverance, uh, in that case, from Egypt. In other words, when there was a celebration, and the Lord uses the word cup metaphorically a lot of times throughout the Old Testament, talking about cup, just a receiving bin of blessings, or sometimes it's a receiving the cup of cursing. Uh, that, we, uh, that we see in the scriptures. And so in response to that kind of language, there was times in the Old Testament celebrations would be established, whether they were uh, celebrations for everyone or just a household saying, we're going to celebrate God's goodness to us. There was a metaphorical cup and they would have a, a literal cup and they would raise the cup up and the contents of the cup was symbolic of the blessings of the Lord and how they would bless the Lord. We also see that carried over into the New Testament and we celebrate it here on a regular basis because the imagery is clearly that of a foreshadow of the coming of the Lord's Supper when Jesus raised the cup and says, this cup contains the blood of the new covenant, my blood, which is truly our cup of salvation, the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. And so the psalmist, looking forward to that, whether he was fully aware or not, thinking of the Passover, thinking of the symbolic way in which you celebrate God's blessings to us, they were carried in a cup, He's lifting up the cup of salvation to the Lord to honor the Lord. And then he's to drink of that cup of salvation, receiving the benefit. Now someone may think about that and say, now wait a second. The person who drinks lifts up the cup, essentially spiritually toasting the Lord, and then drinks from the cup and then receives the grace that's promised in the cup of salvation. How is that benefiting the Lord? I mean, I thought if, if this cup of salvation symbolizes what God has done for us, and as we drink this cup, as Jesus has instructed us to do, we drink of this cup and we receive the benefits of the promises of this cup, 
isn't that benefiting us? How's that benefiting the Lord? And many of you are already aware, but some of you sometimes we forget, and some may have never heard this, but it's important that we understand that the Scriptures show us over and over again that when we drink the cup of salvation, whether it's literally through the Lord's Supper or whether we are rehearsing the salvation that we have, have been given, reminding ourselves over and over again of the Gospel, each time we do that, we are blessing the Lord. We are honoring Him for what He has done. It's a true biblical principle that says that the honor goes to the servant, not to the one who was served. As most of you who are part of the church know, it, several years ago I had a bout with cancer, and so I went through my chemo treatments. And during the chemo treatments, there was each time I would have one, a couple days after the poison was in my system, I would be knocked out, wasn't really able to do a lot for myself, and Carolyn would provide what I needed. She made sure that we, our, our, our refrigerator was stocked with very tepid things because there was a burning sensation of anything cold or, or too hot that I would have because of the chemotherapy. She made sure that everything was clean in our house, including our children, so that there were no germs that were allowed in that might compromise. The and so, and she, she was able to serve and, and help me to get through that process. Now, assuming a neighbor came over and saw that, who is it that they're going to admire? Me laying there on a bed, doing very little, unable to really help myself and say, why, that is impressive. Or the one who is healthy and capable and is choosing to serve the one who is helpless. It's very obvious that the honor goes to the one who is willing to lay their life down and to serve and benefit the other person, not the person who is in need of helping. It would have been truly a disgrace if whenever company came to our home at that point that somehow I would muster up whatever strength I had pretend that I was fine doing everything for myself so that nobody knew how I was being served. I would have been belittling the service that she was giving to me. I would have been diminishing her glory and her grace to me. The psalmist understands this, and he realizes that he is going to honor God by lifting the cup of salvation. Sure, he benefits from the salvation. He's the one that is receiving the salvation. But when he's lifting it up and acknowledging it, one, the Lord is honored because he himself is remembering the salvation that God has given to him. The psalmist is, is remembering that. And anyone else who is around when he's lifting up that cup, anyone who hears that testimony of the salvation that he has received, he's, they are going to be turning their attention to the God of salvation and God is honored. And the psalmist is reminding us that he lifts up, the psalm, uh, lifts up the cup of salvation as a daily declaration of the gospel in his life. And you and I are called to do that as well. Because elsewhere the psalmists tell us to taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, to come and to taste that cup. Whether it's through the Lord's Supper or through the reminding yourself of our plight and God's grace. Lift up that cup of salvation is a way that we honor God because it glorifies his holiness and his righteousness holiness that requires that our sin needs to be paid for his righteousness that propelled him to act on our behalf his justice that figured a way and 
truly paid the price that sin deserves in His grace that gives to us the benefits of His sacrifice when we didn't deserve it. So the psalmist lifts up the cup of salvation and you and I have that same opportunity when we want to honor God, when we recognize His love, you lift up the cup of salvation each time you come to the table, but also by being clear to declare your, the grace that God has given to you on a regular basis. Verse 14, it tells us another way, something that is, in some way, seems to be relatively simple, but I think that it, seems, for some reason, seems to be hard for us. In verse 14, he says, essentially, I will, I will repay the Lord by keeping my vows. Verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Now, we may wonder, when did he make those vows? We don't know, but we assume that he probably made them in the midst of his trials, when he didn't know whether he was going to live or die. Now, some of us, when we find ourselves in those circumstances, we are prone to make very rash kinds of promises to God. Lord, if you will deliver me, if you will do this, I will do whatever. We don't know whether he did that or not. But we do know that he says, here's how I'm going to repay the Lord. Here's how I'm going to honor the Lord. Whatever I vowed, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that up. Sometimes we're prone to be like the little boy who was on the roof wasn't supposed to be on the roof. Then while he was fooling around, his foot slipped. He finds himself rolling and crying out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And then as he rolls, there is a nail that is sticking up out of place from the Christmas decorations from the year before. Catches hold of his pants just enough to slow down. And he cries out, never mind, Lord, the, the, the nail did it. Some of you may have seen, and I, I imagine very few of you remember, a really, really stupid movie from the late 80s with Burt Reynolds. That probably is redundant, stupid movie in Burt Reynolds. But nevertheless, um, called The End. In that movie, Burt Reynolds was diagnosed as being terminal. And he began to find, sought out a cure, was not able to find a cure, and finally he just realizes that he's terminal and he wants to die on his own terms. And so he, toward the end of the movie, he starts swimming out to sea. And he figures that if he swims far enough to the point of exhaustion, then he will drown. And as the movie is drawing toward an end, Burt Reynolds is swimming and getting further and further and the camera is panning out, and you see nothing but the splashes far in the distance, and then the character sinks, and the camera just kind of pauses there. And then up from the water comes Burt Reynolds screaming, I want to live! And as he starts swimming back to shore, he's saying, Lord, I want to live. Lord, if you, if you will deliver me, give me the strength to swim back to shore. If you will give me that strength, I will give to you half of everything I earn. And then he says, and I'm talking gross, not even net. And he starts swimming further in and he's crying, Lord, give me the strength. Give me the strength to go one further. And he gets a little closer to shore. Lord, as soon as give me the strength, then you will get 40% of everything I have. He gets closer to shore. Lord, as I get 25%, then he gets back to the shore. I'm not giving you anything. It was you that made me sick in the first place. Dom DeLuise comes with a knife trying to take him, which he tried to do. That's a whole other thing. I don't want to ruin that for you, but since it really is not worth renting or looking up on Netflix anyway, I thought I'd just spoil the whole thing for you. But it's a picture of what we're like. 
In the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our troubles, we'll cry out to the Lord. We'll offer almost anything. Lord, if you'll do this for me, I will do this. And then when things get a little bit better, we kind of hedge. We were on a curve. Or we were willing to forget it altogether. The psalmist here says, you know what? Here's how I'm going to honor God. Whatever it is that I said I'm going to do, I am going to do. And that honors God. When we are careful of our words, but when we also do what it is that we promised is a way to honor God. The psalmist also says in verses 15 and 16, I will serve the Lord. It's a way that he will pay back the Lord and I will, he will honor him. We won't go into great detail here, but we are told, because again, we can serve the Lord, and it's a phrase that we toss around in the church, and yet the Scriptures, I hope, put us back in the proper mindset when they remind us, what exactly are you going to do for God that he can't do for himself? What exactly is God in need of? And so when we say that we're serving the Lord, it's not really anything that the Lord is in need of. But he does invite those whom he has blessed to be a part of the work that he is doing. And when we do it in his name, he counts it as if for himself. Jesus was very clear that whatever we do in the name of the Lord, particularly unto those who are the least, the outcast, the least impressive, the ones that nobody wants, Jesus says, I count it as if you're doing it for me. And so one of the ways that we, as God's people, who have understood that the Lord has blessed us, that we declare that we love the Lord because of He's now bountifully with us, one of the ways that we can demonstrate that is being compelled to look out and to see the needs of people who are around us in our community. Although when I was coming, I was told, and I was rightfully, uh, found it to be rightful, rightful about Williamsburg, is there are poor who are all around us. We've just hidden them pretty well. Fortunately, some of our deacons have snuffed them out and have found them. And you have an opportunity, we all have an opportunity to help them or to help those who are in need that are around us. It's a way that we are able to minister as we are compelled by the mercy that's been given to us, that we've been given, we have not deserved to go to give to others in the name of Christ what they do not deserve. And the Lord is honored by that. And then finally, and I, I just look at this, as the Lord says, I will offer a sacrifice, uh, uh, the psalmist says, I'll offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. Now, I, I think that it's, the textually, it's somewhat redundant. In other words, the serving of the Lord is connected to the offering of the sacrifice of thanksgiving. But I wanted to make clear that we have those distinctions here. The sacrifice of thanksgiving was, in, in, to the psalmist, would have been part of a thank offering. There was a number of offerings and sacrifices that were made throughout the scriptures and throughout the Old Testament. The thank offering was a voluntary one, over and above the sin offering, other things, when people realized that God has been gracious, and just a way that they would be able to just express thankfulness to the Lord, the thank offering was prescribed as something over and above that the people were able to give to God, just as an expression of their love and gratitude for the way that God had been benevolent toward them. Now, we don't do the, the same as the Old Testament. The sacrificial system was implemented. Christ has fulfilled the entire aspect of uh, system. But the idea behind it still exists, that we can offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. We do so without sacrificing your dog or your cat or your bull or, or whatever. We do so first, Romans tells us, by offering ourselves to the Lord. 
Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, there's the thankfulness that comes in. When we renew our commitment to the Lord and we are willing not just to come and to go uh, to, to worship, although that is, this is one of your gathering, getting up this morning, coming here, is not only for the purpose of worship that we offer together, but the fact that you are willing to get up and physically go and to come into this place is your spiritual act of worship as well. You're giving yourself to the Lord. But we give ourselves to the Lord in other ways also, realizing that our lives belong to the Lord. And so whether it is a special ministry that we do through service to those who are poor, a mission to a particular people somewhere throughout the world, just caring for somebody who's in need, whether it's somebody in, in the congregation who just is beside themselves, unable to help, or somebody that you just stumble upon who you realize is in need and you're willing to invest yourself in their lives, even for a time, to give them help because of the mercy the Lord has given to you. You are offering yourself, but offering yourself, renewing your giving of yourself. The Lord says when you renew your life, even if it's your daily work, whatever it is you do, an accountant, military, there is not anything that we do that is outside of our ability to do to the glory of God and do for the sake of others. When we do everything that, when we do anything for the sake of the Lord, we are renewing our commitment to Him and offering ourselves as a thanks a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Hebrews 13 tells us that we also offer a sacrifice of praise, which is a thank offering. And so whenever we sing of praise to the Lord and acknowledge Him. Whenever we declare the praises of the Lord through conversation and, and speak in testimony of how the Lord has been gracious to you, what we have learned about God, what God is like. The psalmist, ironically, is doing the very thing in the beginning when he says, I love the Lord because he's offering a sacrifice of praise that is pleasing to the Lord. And it's a reminder to us that one way we can please the Lord is by giving ourselves fully to the Lord, realizing that there's not anything that we do that is outside an opportunity to honor God, but also as we should live lives that speak of praise of God through worship and testimony of God in our conversation and declaration, even to whether to unbeliever and believer. All of these are ways in which we are able to praise and honor our Lord. So as we look at this psalm, I hope that many of you realize that you can look at this and say, this is my story. There were times that I didn't think I was going to be able to get through. Things seemed hopeless. And I was helpless and I cried back. And now as I look back over these past three years, four past three days, I realize the Lord has delivered me. It's important. The psalmist is giving us a pattern. It's important for us to remember those days and realize and recognize how the Lord has, has brought us through, that how the Lord has turned his ear toward us, heard us, and how the Lord has delivered us. And then we are able, thinking about that, to say, Lord, I love you because. And so your assignment for the week is relatively simple. I want you to fill in the blank with your own story. I love the Lord because. You write it down, post it on your Facebook page, share it with somebody else. Celebrate how the Lord has been at work in you. Commemorate it. 
Because when no one else would listen to you, no one else would give you the time of day, God did. And God does. Let me pray. Father, as we come this morning, we thank you for, in many ways, this very simple psalm. The quick glance never strikes me as being particularly profound. And yet the depth and practicality of the psalm is deeper than my ability to comprehend. Lord, I pray that you would bless each of us with memory of how we have found ourselves in peril in this life, whether it is through foolishness of our own or whether the ugliness of behavior of others. And be reminded how you have brought us through. Help us to be a people that are not so shallow that we do not see your providences even in simple things. But to realize that every way that worked out was an expression of your love, expression of your provision for us. Because you do preserve the simple-hearted. You preserve your people. Help us, Lord, to stand amazed at the love that you've given to us. And to be a people who don't simply just drink it in, but that we would continually drink it in we would respond to you as well. Father, may you be glorified in our recognition of your grace. May we find that your promise is true, that as you are glorified, we drink even deeper. That we may praise you all the more. Father, make this true of us, we pray. In the name of Christ.